Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I'm a hospice social worker. Today, we have Mike O'Brien again with us, and we're going to be talking about his experience with being an executor for two family members who he unfortunately lost in quick succession. We're going to do some follow-ups later on um, with some other people that have different experiences, and I'm going to also try to find a lawyer to talk to me a little bit more about the specifics of probate. And as an aside, we were talking to Mike while he was in Alaska, and the phone call kept dropping. I decided to leave those little bits in because they actually ended up being pretty funny. And the editing really wouldn't have made a lot of sense if I would have tried to cut them out. So please enjoy. How long are you in Alaska? We've been here two weeks yesterday. We're cleaning out the house. It's a anti-revisited. So I think I guess I'm just going to do this every six or eight months. It's kind yeah. of a thing. Well... Julie's the executor. Um, I'm not sure if it's better or worse because I think there's an expectation from her that I act like the executor, except like I can't go to the bank and talk to the people. They're like, sorry, we need to talk to the actual executor. So Julie spent, I don't know, four hours at Wells Fargo today up here in Juneau because they froze her dad's account yesterday and all the property tax bills that were supposed to get paid get declined and just, you know. Uh, Shit. I can't believe Wells anyway. Fargo still afloat, those shysters. I know. Julie's, Julie's texting me like, this place sucks. I mean, the people she's working with are really nice, right? And, but the people at Wells Fargo, the branch, are on hold with Wells Fargo in New York or wherever the hell. And she's like, we got to get out of here. Like, you know what? Let's just use our credit union in Seattle for this, too. And, you know, they're small... I don't have all the technology, but you just call up Fred and like, hey, Fred, can you fix this? Like, yep, I'll fix it. <laughs> and it's fixed. Nice. So nice. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because your experience as an executor. I had a new experience today helping a family trying to figure out how they were going to get around using a funeral home. Oh. Which is legal in Washington State. You can process... Well, you can't process a death certificate yourself, but you can walk it through and act as the funeral home and transport the body. It's complicated. <laughs> it takes a lot uh, of effort, yeah. but it can be done. I don't How know do that it's worth the cost well, of it. You certainly can't do a funeral pyre in your backyard, I'm not <laughs> sure. No, um, there are still some states that allow pyres um, for natives, you know. Uh, for some indigenous tribes, you can actually get mummified in Utah. This state allows those uh, those pods, right? The uh, earth pods, where you yeah. Oh, you could get started that. last year. Yeah. yeah, in Seattle, they're doing compost, the composting. Compost yep. Well, I don't know if it's actually open yet or if it's going to be next year. Yeah. But um, huh. yeah, you can do it's all kinds of green though. burials and stuff. Yeah. But I have not had someone yeah, well, transport the body themselves. This is only the they second. They want to do that. Second to time. save money, or did they want to do it for religious reasons or something? Uh, to save money. And I talked to the other family member today after I did all this work and finding out everything, um, and they're probably going to use an organization now. So, But at least I know the steps now if someone wants to do it. Wow. Yeah, because for Aunt Di and for Julie's dad, we use the same place. And my dad, we use Well, my dad had prepaid all this stuff beforehand. And it was all cremation. And I think it was like 790 bucks. And they 
pick up the body in the middle of the night and get the death certificate and let Social Security know they're dead and you pick up the little thing of ashes and they don't charge you for the urn like in um, in uh, The Dude or whatever that movie. Lebowski, they, they give you a cheap plastic urn for free. They, they go get the Folgers can from the from Ralph's for, for you. <laughs> so... It's pretty, you know, it's still 800 bucks, but, like, for all that work, like, I can't imagine. Plus, like, I, you know, I didn't want to move the body and all that stuff. I just I want to, like, say goodbye and let them put a sheet over it and be done. And, I don't know, 800 bucks is pretty reasonable. Yeah. The funeral, but, so I guess that's technically a funeral home. The funeral home where Aunt Dad was buried, that's a completely different story. That was, that was um, the dude, um, the Big Lebowski man, that... They were just, I mean, I say nickel and dining, but it was like gold coining and gold coining you. Yeah. And even though Andy had it already our paid most for the plot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, there was, they, um, they had, so Andy paid for the plot in like 1979. Uh, she, she, she financed it over five years and she had all the receipts for it that I saw. Um, but it was like, $3,000 on top of that. And it was like, well, we need to open the ground. And that and costs. Like, that's, that, that's like $800. And then we need a receptacle. I was like, oh, no, no, we already have the urn. It's like, no, no, the receptacle is the thing the urn goes into. We can't just put the urn in the ground. Like, well, no, we're fine. Like, well, I'm afraid. State law, da-da-da. And then there's a bunch of that. And then, like, and what do you want to do for the marker? Like, we're going to buy a marker somewhere else. Like, okay. There's a marker inspection fee if you buy it somewhere else. <laughs> and it is like, you got to be yes, you gotta, And after we inspect it, we guy, have to accept it. So there's an acceptance fee after we inspect it. It's just so, it's like, you got to be kidding me. And then Donna has a plot there, too. And she's like, I'm selling it. I don't, I don't want anyone to have to go through that shit. Just do it. Just do what you did with your dad and spread the ashes on the sound somewhere. So, um, well, good anyway. for her. That's my, that's my experience. <laughs> yeah, that, it's so hard because, you know, funeral homes have become, especially full service funeral homes, part of their deal really is sales. You know, they are ultimately, they are a business and yeah. they're talking to people in their moments of grief and not always making the best rational decisions and not always having a, an economic mind like you do. So, um, I think a lot of people have some bad feelings about funeral homes taking advantage of people, which, you know, that can be the truth. Like you said, gold coin and gold, gold coin. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you went through, so you, you did two pretty close back to back being an executor. And so what I want, uh Oh, I lost That's you. That's my T-Mobile for you. <laughs> Where did you hear me last? <laughs> you said, I think you went through. Yeah, so you went through basically two back-to-backs of being an executor. And what I want for the podcast is to just kind of let people know what that experience is. Because I think, as I recall, those experiences were pretty different. Of course, one was a little more expected than the other. But they were both kind of a, not at the moment you were expecting. And so maybe yeah. you can talk me through the process of you know, from the time of death, kind of what happened as a, as a family member slash executor, what you had to go through. Sure. 
So you're, um, you know, so both cases, one was my dad and one was my aunt, um, and close to both of them. So, you know, it's, it's always possible to be an executor for an estate that you're a little more removed from, but usually it's not. And so you're dealing both with like the personal grief and the loss and, you know, the celebrating of sorts and all that stuff on top of managing, um, you know, a fairly complex set of financial um, conversations um, and transactions. And, um, you know, it's going to depend a ton on individuals. And so the circumstances with both my dad and my aunt was they both had, you know, some money in the bank and they both had a house that they owned outright. And so what that meant was, like, I wasn't scrambling to sell the furniture to pay the medical bill or the ambulance bill on the last day. That there was there was enough there to, to more than cover all the expenses and then have some to go around to family members. And so so that's one thing that um, it makes life easier. Also, I would say for me, you know, how I personally grieve and what I do to distract myself, you know, I, I'm kind of more of an internal think-through-things guy and go for runs and things that I do to, would do to get my uh, mind off things would be like balancing checkbooks and adding up spreadsheets. So actually, for some people, I can imagine being an executor is like a, a new form of hell on top of an already hard situation. But for me, the, the, the actual work of figuring out the real estate and the bank accounts and the insurance policies of a funeral home, that is actually kind of work that I enjoy. <laughs> I mean, I would rather be fishing, right? But putting but all the pieces together is a big, big deal. Huh? <laughs> I, 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 I like that stuff, and it also comes at a moment where, like, you know, I, I need like to be focused on something and doing something, and so, you know, to be figuring out the laws around how you transfer a bank account. And something I can dig into that is still working with my aunt or with my dad, yet I get to focus my brain on that so I'm not just truly grieving. So I feel like um, my, my personality is kind of set up for this to be to work fairly well. The other thing I'll say is in both my dad's situation and an aunt I's situation is we we're dealing with family members that we're all getting along. Everyone is very gracious and supportive, you know, people, the, my, aunt, my aunt and my dad left money to a variety of family members and, and no one in any of those situations, I think really expected anything. And so I think there's a, that creates an environment where everyone feels like, wow, like I'm getting pleasantly surprised in this really sad moment. And I hear stories from so many people where like, you know, my brother went in a week before my dad died and signed the will over to him and eliminated my kids from it or, you know, you know, did this or the, the house was retitled in their name beforehand so it's not part of the will and I didn't know about that. Or, you know, um, you know, the flip side is like, you know, I was taking care of mom for the last three years of her life well, you were, you know, sibling were off, you know, living in Florida. And I feel like 
more of this should come to me than you since I was living here doing this work. And so, you know, good people doing their best, decent people that make a mistake, bad people with bad intentions. But, you know, all those things are all fair and real. And I think what I've experienced in these two and then also working with Julie and her dad is just everyone's like really cooperative, really collaborative. No one's looking to get anything. And then everyone got stuff. And I think more than they thought was fair. And, you know, as the executor, people are saying, well, I think this is too much. You know, I want to give some of it back. <laughs> I'm like, no, one, that's going to make my life messy. Um, and this is the intent. You know, once you get the money, you can do whatever you want with it. So, um, you know, figure that out on your own. But that, so that's, you know, I'm probably not unique, but I feel like, I don't know. Makes me feel really good about my family. Ah. Hello. It makes me yeah, feel so really good about your family too. Makes me feel really good about my family. So, um, and Julie and her sister are getting along really well. And you know, like when when you have enough money in an estate to take care of all your needs or to to help with things in your tough position and you weren't expecting something, it makes it a lot easier to be generous and gracious. And if you're struggling to, you know, pay your own rent or put your kids through school or take care of young kids or take care of someone else in your family and someone dies and it's a house that's leveraged and they have a bunch of debt you have to deal with, you know, I, I, I get I get that good families can end up being at each other if it was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I think there's a bunch of really good people in our family, which is amazing, and I, you know, I just don't want to judge people that go through things that are hell because it just could be that that's a different situation and there's a bunch of good people that are struggling and it just makes it harder. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, money does not make anyone happy. Plenty of evidence, uh, both anecdotal and data-wise, that there's really rich people that are really miserable. And, you know, when you look around the world, people that would live in what we'd call poverty seem to be often living pretty decent lives. But in the United States, living in poverty sucks. And, you know, it's not great to not have access to health care anywhere you are in the world or education and things like that. But, you know, just like everything else, if you're, you know, dealing with folks that are living in poverty, it probably is a real shitty job doing what I did for my aunts, my aunt and my dad. So, so I'm guessing you had to have uh, certified copies of a death certificate for any kind of benefit for bank stuff? Yeah, there's basically two things you need. So um, my dad had set up a trust, and I don't fully understand what that is, having been through it, but I'm not a lawyer. But essentially what he did was he – I don't know exactly why he did it. I think it was supposed to make things easier, but having been through it, I'm not sure that it was any easier. But basically he put his house – into the trust. So the house wasn't owned by Dennis O'Brien. It was owned by the Dennis O'Brien Living Trust or something like that. And the trustee for the trust is my dad. And then upon his death, my brother and I become the trustees. And so what that means is that the moment he dies, Jeff and I automatically are in charge of the trust, which owns the house. And so what that means is like, there's nothing really to do it's already in the name. And I think, like, one of his checking accounts was actually in the trust or something. 
Um, so, so the the title of the house is already there. Mm. Basically, what needs to happen is you need a copy of the death certificate, and there's probably a way to do this without an attorney, but it's probably fairly complicated. And so we just hired an estate planning attorney to look at my dad's will and his trust documents, which he had left in his safe deposit box. Um, I will say this, knowing where those things are is really helpful. <laughs> and, you know, just my dad gave me a safe deposit box key 10 years ago, 20 years ago, shit, I don't know, a while ago. <laughs> a long while after he gave it to me, he mentioned it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think you gave that to me. He said, I think I gave it to you. You know exactly where it is. It's like, this is like an important thing, Mike. <laughs> and so that, that conversation was probably 10 years ago. And so I went and found it. And I brought it to him. I was like, is this the one? He's like, yeah. Now put it somewhere. You're going to remember it. And so I did. I, I had a file, and I knew where it was when he died. But I didn't know what bank it was with or what branch it was with. Oh, <laughs> and it doesn't stay on there. It just has a number. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I was <laughs> like, oh, shit. So I would advise people that if you have a loved one who is trusting you to do it, it's, it's always an uncomfortable situation when someone says, hey, you know, um, I'm getting older, and I have my will set up, and I want you to be my executor. Um, and usually, like, you know, what, what I do at least, like, oh, yeah, that, you know, great, I'm honored, but that's a long ways off. We don't need to talk too much about it um, and be dismissive. And I think the answer is, wow, that's a big, that's a real honor, and I want to take this seriously. So let's take a minute and explain how I would do everything and what you want me to do and yeah. take some notes and, and put those with the key in the folder that you know where it is so you can refer to it. Now, with my dad, I knew he banked with Chase Bank, and I looked at all the Chase Banks in Bellevue and the ones that had the biggest parking lot as opposed to, like, further to walk. And my brother and I went to that one, and that was it. <laughs> showed him the key. He said, yes, Mike, your name is on the account, so I don't have to do anything. And um, so that worked out, and we opened it up, and there was um, the will and a bunch of other documents. And I can't remember if I told you guys this, and there was a plastic bag with um, something in it. And we opened the plastic bag. It's a pill jar of Viagra. There's no note. Yeah, I imagine. The, uh... I don't know. I, I don't think you keep the Viagra in your safe deposit box if you're using it. So I'm assuming that was a dad's gift to Jeff and I. Just in case you need it. Here you go. <laughs> That's pretty... Ah, damn it. Noble's um, oh, moderating know. Viagra or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's the code so, word. Yeah, so, so anyways, um, and with Julie's dad, we had a copy of the will, which is great, but we needed an original of the will um, for the court proceeding, and we called the attorney that wrote the will up in Anchorage, and they were like, no, we have a copy also. Ron took the original. We, you know, we think he put it in a safety deposit box. You know, we were in Seattle. Julie had a friend here who actually was already signed up to get into the safety deposit box, but she couldn't find the keys to the safety deposit box. But about within a week, she found the keys and went in, and there was the, the original will, and she expressed it to us downtown, so, or Seattle. So, um, so those weren't too bad. So once you have the will... Um, Wait, back up just for a second. So this, Julie's dad, there had to be a court proceeding. Can you explain that a little bit? Like, why was there court instead of the sure. other? Yeah. So, 
So um, for Julie's dad and for Aunt Di, there had to be a court proceeding. A probate and, proceeding. Yep, so it's called probate. And I guess that different states do it differently. And I think, like, when you Google probate, there's horror stories of what it is. And it, and it probably is different if you have siblings that are fighting over who's the executor and stuff like that. Um, but it's really painless in Washington State. What I hear from people say is probate in Washington State is really easy to go through. So the attorney, and I did it through an attorney. Again, I imagine there's a way to do it without that. But, you know, the, really just the paralegal gets the death certificate and reviews the will and finds in the will that says, you know, that Mike O'Brien is the executor of Diane O'Brien's estate. You know, it actually said Dennis O'Brien is the executor. And if Dennis O'Brien can't serve, Mike O'Brien will be the executor. Um, and then they take that to the court and I think basically file a document with the court that says, you know, the, the, the attorney writes the document um, that says, you know, we have reviewed the will. Um, you know, I am an attorney and licensed to practice law in Washington. According to the will, which we believe to be accurate and the most recent copy, um, Mike O'Brien is the, um, executive, the proper executor of this estate. Um, and we asked the court to issue letters testamentary, um, which is a thing that I'd never heard of before, but I use the word all the time in the last six months or a year. Um, letters testamentary, which is one page. Essentially, the court says, we hereby find that Mike O'Brien is the executor of, of Diane C. O'Brien's estate. And so with that, um, and so that, you know, I think it takes a day or two for the attorney to review the will if they weren't the ones that drafted it. And, you know, now I don't even think they go to court. I think they send an email to the court. Um, but with Aunt Di, they went to court. And I think they issue the, review the documents right there and stamp it, or maybe a day later. And then I, and then you have it. So that can happen within a couple days. But you don't need to be present the, for that? I never was present for any of it, no. But why did um, Aunt Di's stuff need to go to a probate court if you were the executor, but you didn't have to for your dad? So, um... Because I think technically probate was also open for my dad. Mm. Um, um, but in theory, we were the new, we, because we were automatically the trustees of the trust. And so we had access to all of the, um, all of the accounts. So there's, there's a basically a number of things. So you have the house with all of its assets in is, is a common thing to have. And so in this case, the house was titled to the trust, and Jeff and I were the trustee and the beneficiary of the trust, so we immediately had the power to act on behalf of the house. You know, we had to prove it, but to prove that was just to give the real estate guy, here's a copy of the trust documents that show that we are the thing, and if, as long as my dad died, we are the people that run it, and here's the death certificate to show that my dad died. Um, then you have a bunch of bank accounts or investment accounts. And so on, um, like, my dad's investment accounts and his 401K and stuff, he had listed my brother and I as beneficiaries. And so what that means is once he died, they close those accounts. I mean, they don't know the moment he died, but they retroactively go back to May 18th, close the account, split it into two accounts in Jeff and Mai's name, and then they give us access to it. And, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to sell it, keep it, whatever? So we have new accounts. So that also... Uh, if you have a beneficiary on those accounts, it doesn't go through the courts. It just automatically transfers. 
And then with bank accounts, there are like, again, I'm not positive, but like tenancy in common is one term, I think, or joint, uh, joint survivorship ownership. Um, and so usually that's for a married couple. Um, my dad actually had me on his main checking account as his joint survivor. So we had equal access to it. I could have gone into the bank at any point when he was alive and withdrawn all the money out and closed the account. We were co-owners of the account. I probably knew my name was on the account at some point, but I'd forgotten about it. So, um, so when my dad dies, I said, what do I need to do? They said, well, your dad's dead, so this account is no longer Dennis O'Brien and Mike O'Brien. It's just Mike O'Brien. So the account is in my name. And that's what happened with most of Julie's mom's stuff is all of their accounts were in Julie. Or... <laughs> ben, can you believe this? If you want to get a Zoom audio, we can do that. I don't know if that's better or worse. But <laughs> it's up to you. No, that's okay. Okay. So all those accounts were in Ron and Jean's names jointly. And so they stay in Gene's name and Ron's name just comes off of it. And the hell at Wells Fargo today was because all the documents we have show this account to be a joint survivorship account. But it was the account was originally opened with a different bank and then Wells Fargo bought the bank. And so for one of the accounts, they said, we only show this to be in Ron's account. And once Ron's dead, no, the only people that have access to it are the – no one has access to it. We can just write a check to the estate. Is the only thing they could do, but it took them like a week to figure that out. And anyway, so, so um, if uh, joint survivor, um, beneficiary, and trust are three different things that I've seen where you don't have to go to the courts and assets just transfer. But for my dad, you know, things like his furniture um, and his cars, those were not titled to the trust. And so I believe, I believe probate was opened and something was issued by the court to show the state that my brother and I legally could get the title to the car reissued in our name so that we could then sell it. You know, Julie's parents' car is titled in, uh, this is like the tricky stuff, it's, it's not in Ron and Gene Bolton. If that were the case, they would both need to say the title. It's in Ron or Gene Bolton, which means either of them can sign to sell the car. And because Julie's the power of attorney for her mom, that means Julie can sign to sell the car. We don't need to do any other paperwork, so that's easier. But if we did, like for Aunt Di's um, car, I had to go in, and for her bank accounts, um, so I went into the, the bank when I was a power of attorney for Aunt Di and showed all my documents, and they said, yes, you can sign for Aunt Di, and you can withdraw money from the account on her behalf as a power of attorney. And then once she died, my power of attorney no longer works because right. it's only for someone who's alive. So I have to go back into the bank and show that I am now the executor of her will. And here's letters testamentary showing that the courts have appointed me. And here's the death certificate showing that she actually died. And then they can issue a check to the estate. Now, I, I was power of attorney for long enough that I managed to get her from six bank accounts down to two bank accounts. So that, that is, that helped narrow the, the range of, of things to do after. Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's relatively straightforward. Each bank's a little bit different. Most of the banks I went to were, were pretty easygoing. And, you know, I have to show some ID that I'm the person I say I am. And 
Um, you know, especially the ones that I'd had a relationship with as power of attorney, they kind of knew me already. Um, there was one bank that said, every time you want to make a transaction, you need to bring in all the paperwork again. And so that was the account I closed right away, because <laughs> that was just going to be a hassle. Um, but I get it. You know, they're, they're, trying, they're not trying to be paying the ass. They just want to make sure that no one's going to take money. And they probably had a bad experience somewhere and just said, look, it's too messy for us to deal with. We don't want to, you know, some new teller sees some paperwork and hands over $100,000 that they shouldn't have. That's not, right. not good in the banking world. So, um, yeah, so those are the, the two different things. And what I would say, um, I think it's, you know, to set up a trust is a fair amount of work. Um, it, it doesn't, um, you know, most people don't have accounts that deal with federal estate. That's like a $10 million account. And so I don't really know, like, um, and probably not the people listening to this podcast are looking for, how do I shield $20 million of assets from the federal <laughs> government? And there's probably ways through trusts and charities and foundations and shit people do that, I'm sure. But that's not really my world. I think the only reason my dad set up the trust was for ease of transfer. And I think in Washington State, the probate is so clean and easy um, that there's there was really no difference in paperwork on my end for Aunt Di's estate versus my dad's estate. I didn't even have to retitle. I thought I'd have to retitle her house in the estate's name so that we could then sell it. But the attorneys were just like, no, just, you're not the attorneys, the real estate people, like, no, just show us the letters and, and we sell it. You can sell it as a PR personal representative and it goes over. And so, so I, you know, I, I was thinking that, like, at some point as I get older, I need to create a trust because that's what, you know, that's what people do. But in Washington, I think that's just a way to spend a few thousand dollars on more attorneys, and I don't, don't know that it's worth it. I do think it's worth, though, figuring out what you want to go where and being really clear with family members and how you want it to proceed. You know, my kids are 20 and 22, so I will probably have the conversation relatively soon, but it'll probably be like my dad with me, and they'll in one ear, out the other ear. Um <laughs> And I'll have some vague recollection 10 years from now, if I die 10 years from now, that, don't you remember Dad telling us? Like, yeah, kind of. Did he give you a key? Um, Did he give you a key, right? <laughs> I thought he gave you a key, yeah. So, you know, probably need to have that conversation every few years to remind whoever's doing it. Um, probably, I think I have uh, my best friend as my executor for now. So at some point, that'll switch to my kids as they get a little older. But I think I'm going to leave my best friend for now because he'll, he'll know where the key is. Not Julie? You don't want Julie to be your executor? Well, Ju- Ju- Julie is the... We're, we're each other's executor, but <laughs> the plane crash when we both go out, then uh, then I have a friend who's, who, who works with a turn. I'm, I'm glad I definitely had... Oh, damn it. Damn it, Ben. Please let us finish the statement of that one. It did. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm glad we had that conversation because I need to find out more about probate. I was under the impression that if you had a will with an executor, you didn't need to go through that process. So that I need to get more information on for sure. Yeah, that's my understanding. And again, it's really easy. I, I, you know, there's something, there's people who die without a will. I don't know what that's like, but I imagine it's messy. But most, you know, both aunt dies will and my dad's will, I think generally said the same stuff that someone dying without a will is. It basically goes to your next of kin and is split evenly, and that's kind of what folks did. There's a contested will, and I'm not, I think, I'm not sure if that's when, like, you know, 
one sibling has one copy of the will and a sibling has a newer one, but no one saw it. And was mom too far gone to have actually signed that will or was she in a solid state of mind? Right, and right. Then, then that's, that's where you get really messy. And I imagine, I'm not sure how that shows up, but I haven't had to deal with that. And I'm not going to win. hope I don't ever have to deal with it because clearly that happens. And then the courts have to get involved and pick winners and losers. And so. And everybody's yeah. a loser in that scenario. Yeah. Everyone's, yeah, the lawyers make money. And, you know, the lawyers I've worked with, you know, they're expensive, um, but they're good. They, they're smart. And, um, you know, just try to try to figure out how to use them as little as possible and, and ask them up front. Like, I want to spend as little money on you as possible. So what are the things that I can do? Um, and what are the things that it's really more, makes more sense for you guys to do? Like drafting the letters testamentary. I'm like, yeah, I could probably spend a couple hours on YouTube figuring that out or a couple weeks on YouTube figuring it out. But why don't you just do that since you have the form? Yeah. And I, and I must say, when I watch you guys go through, you know, the whole process of dividing up the estate, especially with your dad, it just was, it was so beautiful to watch. You did such a great job of, you already, you know, the, the intermediate, the in, immediate family already had specific things that, you know, you were doing, but the way that you brought everyone together into the home and just had this big celebration and then everyone kind of evenly worked together to say, well, this has sentimental value to me or I could really use this rather than having it be a big fight or, you know, one person gets access first or whatever. It just, it was very different, but it was really a beautiful way to do it. I really loved it. Thank you. I have a friend who's the young, uh, second youngest of 13 kids. Whoa. And um, and when his last parent died, I, think, I can't remember if it was his dad or his mom, um, and they're scattered all over the country. And, um, you know, even if you have a big estate, when you divide it 13 ways, you know, that may not cover airfare. Right. Um, and so <laughs> he was describing, and his, his, um, his relatives, his siblings fall along, uh, a religious spectrum from extremely religious to not at all. And he's in the not at all category. <laughs> um, and I think they all get along pretty well, but they all have very different, you know, different views on the world for sure. Um, and so he was describing a scene where they were at the house. They all came together and they, they, they divvied up all the, you know, the monetary stuff, but they said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to draw straws and we're going to go in order and I think John took charge. He's the second youngest. At least as he described it in his story, he was in charge. <laughs> and, um, and you get to go into the house, and you get to pick one thing that you want and come on out. And we'll just keep doing this until either everything's gone or everyone's got more than they want. And then we'll get rid of the rest. And so, you know, it was 13 people, and, you know, That's our pretty, family, uh, no one was really fighting or anything. And so what John told me, he did. He went in, and he got like, he drew like one of the earliest straws. And he went in and got like, like a cross or a statue of Mary or something that he knew like his siblings were gonna fight over. And he's like, "This is my thing that I really want." And then and like one of his sisters was like in tears. He was like, "I'm just kidding. You have it." <laughs> and so, trying to be like, "Look, I really don't care about this stuff. I have memories of mom and dad. You know, you guys take the stuff you care about." And you know, I think that built trust too. That like he's not trying to rig a system where he comes out ahead. Right. That's great. So, yeah. Yeah. But lots, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, really, it was really great. I mean, I've I've 
had my own share of deaths in the family and uh, our family is a lot smaller than your family so it's a little easier to deal with but um, certainly it, it just was really a great experience to, to watch and be a part of so I want to make sure I share that experience so other people can do that too. It's <laughs> great and I'll say like with my kids we did this thing that you saw a bit of that I thought was just kind of a joke, but we went through, like, go through all of Grandpa's clothes, and Jeff's kids were there, too, and, you know, find whatever you want, and they, he had boxes, like, he had, you know, 40 pair of OP shorts that he had outgrown, <laughs> yes. but he put them in a box that labeled OP shorts, and the kids were going through this stuff, and some of the stuff, they're like, this is so cool, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, Everything comes and then, like, like, Wyatt got all the OP, and I, I don't know how Wyatt could fit into some shorts that my dad wore, but he did. I mean, at some point, I don't know how that worked. I guess my dad maybe carried his weight above the weight somehow. But um, and Wyatt still wears those OP shorts all the time. And so great, and 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 dies. Ah! Corduroy shorts are gonna make a comeback. Sure. I thought. It and dies. There's nothing the kids are gonna want, and like just before Wyatt took off in his car, he's in Montana training sled dogs right now, um, and he pulled out this coat, this kind of warm coat, weird looking, but had a hood with fur around it. I was like, "Where'd you get that?" He's like, "That's and dies." He's like, "I'm definitely bringing this to Montana to mush it," and you know, so it's like it's just awesome that he, they have these things, uh, and even like my son is wearing my aunt's clothes. Um, <laughs> And it's like, yeah, this is cool. It's cool looking, it works, and it's a family member's thing, which is awesome. And so, you know, there's plenty of stuff we gave away and threw away, but it's nice that people were able to find a few treasures to remember people by. <laughs> the pachinko door is hanging. Yeah, it's in the uh, yeah. <laughs> it's in the office. It's, uh, it's a new door to a closet. I'll take a picture <laughs> of it uh, after Friday. We're going to have the floors installed so you can see the, That's where awesome. it is. So now and I'm is gonna, it functional? I'm going to start working on getting it functional while I've got some downtime, but yeah, not quite yet. It looks like one of those kind of Rube Goldberg things. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a little probably, trickery. You probably don't need it. Yeah, it's, it's a project. Yeah. yeah, it looks like, yeah, good. Well, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to come over and, I don't know, do you play pachinko for beers or something? I don't know. I think I you mean, could. I'm you sure you could. When, <laughs> he said he'd, he would play it in Japan and he'd win like, Shaving cream if you got a bunch of balls or something. <laughs> yeah. and you turn them into yeah, it's like ski-ball in a way, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some kind of combination yeah. of ski-ball and pinball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slot machines kind of, yeah, I think you, you, you yeah, you, you get all these balls, and then you pay for the balls, and then when you get more, then you cash them in, kind of like chips. Or like chips. <laughs> well, it looks neat anyway. Even if it never works, it looks awesome. Yeah, I can't remember if I told you, Matt. I think I did, but when I took the door in with a pachinko on it to get resized to Frank's Lumber, the door store, yeah. these guys, you know, they're processing like a thousand doors a day. Like three of the dudes were like, I'll buy that from you. That is the <laughs> coolest door I've ever seen. I'm like, sorry, it's taken. And there was a note on it. If you ever want to sell this, you know, call me at Frank's door. Oh, that's but, funny. You know, no shit. The door people thought it was pretty awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I love I'm it. I'm so glad I advocated. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, I, pu I pulled Julie aside and I said, hey, Matt really wants this pachinko machine, but he's not going to tell you. So can you just talk to Mike? 
Yeah. Matt, I'm like you. Isn't it good to have people in our lives that actually <laughs> speak up for us? And we're like, ah, I don't want to cause any trouble. That's too much to ask. Yeah, 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 you know. I'm not. I'm not the. Uh, I'm not the wave maker. I don't want to make waves. Well, we did feel bad. <laughs> we did feel bad knowing you had to make a whole new door. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, not at all. We did just fine in that. Yeah. And I you know what? The new people would have not appreciated the pachinko machine, <laughs> and they would have first thing they would have I done is pull that off would. the wall. What the fuck is this thing? Yeah. Well, any final thoughts or advice for people? going through having to deal with their family's things and whatnot and grief that you have? You know, the one thing I'll say, I, I can't really speak to grief. As I mentioned before, I think the, you know, <laughs> some people go through, um, go through the clothes or the trinkets that bought or the traveling mementos and the photos. <laughs> I like look through the tax returns and the receipts and like, oh, yeah, I remember when Anti paid for the deck eight years ago. Uh, yeah, that's a memory for me. So you know, we all we all have our way of memories in different ways. So just you know, letting people do that. I I would say that um, you know this is all under the same caveat that when when the folks when things are really financially tight, it's a lot harder. But when you have a little flexibility, to recognize that, that stress in other family members and and grief shows up in different ways. And I think just when everyone is showing up being gracious and grateful and generous, it makes it so much better. And so, you know, it's like Julie's been talking to me, you know, just Julie and her sister um, will be the ones who inherit her mom and dad stuff. Alaska. <laughs> it's Julie and her sister, and I'm the, you know, I'm not the executor, but I'm the one doing a lot of work. And Julie's like, I really want to pay you for this, Mike. And I'm like, you know, I appreciate that, honey. Um, you know, all that really does is transfers money from you and your sister to me, which is away from your sister. And, I, and I'm definitely doing work, and, you know, people can get compensated doing this, and that's great. And, then, you know, in the right situation, people should be compensated. But I'm like, you know, you're going to inherit a chunk of money from your mom and dad, and the money you're going to pay me is so small, and I just don't want a situation where, your sister wants to know, like, well, how many hours did he work and this and that. And so, you know, I, I appreciate the, the sentiment that you want to do that. And, you know, I I'm, I'm feel good that I'm able to be helpful here. And, you know, I, again, I'm in a moment where I'm between jobs and I don't have to worry about working for a little while, so that's fine. And she's going to inherit some money. So, it's, you know, it's just so much easier to be generous when you, you're in a good position. Um, but I would say, like, just finding – however you can be graceful and gracious to folks and generous to folks if you're in this position, um, what I find is when you offer someone something, they often try to offer two of them back to you. And when you try to grab something, they fight you and grab it. And so, you know, it doesn't always work that way. There are plenty of situations where people are generous and other people just take it, take it, take. Um, but, you know, in our family, everyone has always been extremely generous. And it's a little bit like those squirrel cartoons of like, no, after you, no, after you, no, after you. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you go so, commercial from uh, the insurance company in Washington. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but that's a much better problem to deal with. It's easy to figure that one out. 
Well, yeah. those were great final thoughts, and you've been a great <laughs> example. I'm sorry that you had to lose family members to become good at this and knowledgeable, but I appreciate you sharing it with people so they can maybe have a little bit easier time when it's their turn. You bet. Thank you, Mike. All right, thanks for joining us with our talk with Mike about executorship and losing loved ones and what you can do afterwards to make things just a little bit better. Remember to give yourself some grace. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics, please give us an email at someDayDeadPC at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at SomedayDeadPC, and we are on Facebook, Someday We'll All Be Dead Podcast. I hope that all of you are watching out for each other, especially in these last few weeks of October with everything up in the air and insane. Go out and vote. Be uh, renewing your license to bitch, as I've heard some people say, and I kind of like that. So, um, yeah. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of your friends. And uh, we'll see you on the flip side. Because someday we'll all be dead. <laughs>